This week on Writers, Inc. There were several things that I had to do. Part of them were, part of it was was mechanical. You know, like you got to sit down and you got to put your hands on the keyboard and you got to write something. And honestly, when it came to Wish You Were Here, this book flew out of me. Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's In. Zach, you getting audited this year? Uh, that's a great way to start this. <laughs> what, what, made, what made you ask me that? Well, I don't know. You're doing some crazy things with your taxes, from what I understand. You're going to get audited. <laughs> I'm not getting audited. <laughs> I hope not. So I don't. Uh, out of the three us, out of the three of us here, I think that them auditing me would do them the least good. So <laughs> I, know, think, I, I think I'm a peon compared to you two guys. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I think there's another guy here that's probably the prime target of an audit. Yeah. I'm buying. He's I'm bowing out. His, He's like, yeah. I got a lot to say about this. <laughs> no, I'm like trying to turn off my camera. <laughs> 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 like what, whatever my accountant calls me, I just put my hands over my ears and just say la 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 la. Like I don't want to know <laughs> till till that auditor's standing on my door, you know, towing my car away or something. I don't want to know what they're, they're up to. Um, <laughs> now we were just right before we started recording, we were talking about some of the things that you can write off as an author and, it, and it's kind of funny, but like, you know, like I write off my Netflix account, my Disney account, like anything that I watch TV and movies, you know, if I, if I go somewhere, I mean, 99% of the time I'm doing some kind of research, yeah. you know, so that that's all a write off. And you had mentioned video games, you know, like if it's relevant to what you're doing, it, it's a write off. You, you got to make sure you, you count that. You know, like so many authors that I know, you know, especially when they first start working on their own, um, you know, they're so scared of, of writing off anything, you know, like I'll, I'll write off this pack of pens that I bought because that's definitely a writer's thing. But, you know, they, they don't think about anything else. And something as simple as like the clothes that you wear, like if you do public speaking, like that's a uniform, yeah. like there's there's a rule for that. And you can actually write that off. You can write off the dry cleaning costs associated with it. You know, like the, there's so much there and you don't want to leave money on the table. Um so yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not an accountant or a tax professional, but you definitely don't want to get that advice from me, or at least not follow it from me. You know, talk to, talk to advice. somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, but um, make sure you're not leaving money on the table. I guess is the the gist of that. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm living in Christmas hell over here at my house. <laughs> <laughs> my my wife loves Christmas, like is crazy in love with, with decorating. And like last year, she went out to all the stores like December 26th and like bought out anything that was left over, um, you know, because you can buy Christmas stuff for like 80% off. Um, and she loaded up all these closets. I didn't realize exactly how much she bought, but I, I've got, and I'm not lying here, seven Christmas trees in my house. Seven. Uh, seven, seven Christmas trees. And there were two more that were supposed to go out on the porch and she started setting them up and like they kept blowing over in the wind. Um, so I, I don't know what happened to those. Um, but yeah, it looked, it looks like somebody kidnapped an elf and they just, they threw up in here or, or something, but like it's, it's, it's Christmas everywhere. Um, e even our little Amazon echoes are, are playing Christmas music right now. So I, I can't escape it. Um, do you guys go all out for decorating or you kind of pretend it's not happening? I kind of, 
kind of pretend it's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> I am getting into the into the holiday spirit by watching Dave Grohl's Hanukkah sessions. There so you go. I've been seeing some of that. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, that yeah. sounds nice. My uh, yeah, we don't have a lot going on here, but my mom goes all out. So when when I we go down there for Christmas, uh, you know she she's been going on. I tell you what, I've been living in over here is I've been living in Beatlemania. Oh, so I I was gonna I wanted to mention this um, for anyone who has Disney Plus, watch Get Back the new Beatles documentary. It is unfreaking believable. It might be. I'm not that far in. It's like eight hours. It's three parts, um, and they come through sixty hours of footage. And it's basically—I don't know if you, have either. Of you guys heard of this? I have heard of it. I, it I've, pe- I've seen the trailers for it, but I haven't actually watched it. So essentially, like Peter Jackson, you know, who did Lord of the Rings and everything, combed through sixty hours of footage um, that was originally done for the Let It. Uh, I think it was like the Let It Be documentary or something that came out in the seventies. But essentially, it's documenting the Beatles over. It's either fourteen or twenty-one days as they're sitting there writing the let it be album and also about to play their first concert in three years wow. and all while they are also on a deadline because Ringo Starr is about to film a movie and it, it is showing th- these people create under those types of constraints is it's unbelievable. I mean, they wrote one of the greatest rock albums ever under those constraints and it is it's really unbelievable so i anyone who's a creative i think should definitely check it out and uh and it's on disney plus for free i don't know if you can get it any other way but it's on there so i i'm more and more impressed with everything that's just showing up on the streaming services lately you know like all the movies are like you know the quality that you would find in a theater you know none of that made for tv stuff that we you know that i grew up with on it you know like nbc cbs those kind of guys um it's all big budget stuff we're, we're watching um true story right now uh, with Kevin Hart and, and Wesley Snipes, and it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's just it's better than you know anything I've seen in a theater in years. Um, you know, it's just so much thought and and every the production value, everything is just so good. Like I'm, I'm absolutely loving that stuff right now. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's where we're headed. I mean, I've yeah. been saying that forever, and I feel like COVID kind of, you know, is making that speeding that up a little bit. I went to the theater last week, first time in two years or whatever. I went and saw Ghostbusters because that was the only way you could see it. Uh, which, by the way, was awesome. That was like the best sequel to a 30 year old movie. Like anyone who's trying to do remakes and sequels, it was actually done super well. So but uh, I, I went and that was the first time I've been a theater. I did. I did a theater and I went to an indoor concert within three days of each other. So. <laughs> well, from what I've been hearing, um, I mean, theaters aren't going to go away, you know, because it's, it's always going to be one of the perfect date nights kind of things for, for teenagers yeah. and, you know, and stuff like that. But I, I think where we're going to see this go is companies like Netflix are going to produce these big blockbuster movies like they're doing now. I mean, I think they spent 200 million on um, Red Notice. Netflix did, um, you know, so they're putting up the money in there. Um, but I think you're going to see them start releasing stuff in the theater theaters um you know maybe for with like a short lead time like that's kind of the what i've been hearing like whispers of you know like netflix will put a movie out it'll be in theaters for like two weeks and then premiere on netflix uh that kind of thing so they can get the box office you know from the theaters but still collect on the the streaming side um so i, I think that's where we're going i also could see like i mean maybe i'm totally off base but like similar to how vinyl made a comeback in in music like i could see a resurgence in something like drive-in movie theaters or something you know as like a way to get people to go to i don't know like uh but but yeah i don't think they're going to totally go away but i think they're going to be way less relevant as you know 
um, I mean, JD, you have a freaking theater in your house. Like, why do you need yeah. to go to a theater? You know? And even without that, like if you've got a 65 inch TV or something and like a decent sound bar, like you can get a really good home theater experience at home. So you can, but I mean, in all honesty, I mean, I, I've got a, a crazy setup, but you know, unless you have something like what I do, there's certain movies that you just want to see on that, that big screen, yeah. you know, like Dune, you know, like I would have gone, if I didn't have what I have at home, I would have been in the theater in a heartbeat for that. Or, you know, another star Wars movie or any of these big blockbuster things. Like you just, you want those experiences to feel real yeah i mean and i i can't watch a movie without someone's phone ringing so i i can't get that at home <laughs> <laughs> now on the flip side you can hit the pause button at home which is always nice um and like you know with me being having a toddler at home like it takes me like three four days to watch a movie you know because I, I can only watch it in snippets so, so yeah, there's it. that too um other publishing stuff uh, a friend of mine alex shane he's an agent over at writer's house he put out a tweet the other day um looking for authors that are considering changing agents um, so I just figured I'd mention it on here. If you've got an agent, if you're you know traditionally published and you've got an agent and you're thinking about making a change there, reach out to Alex. He's a really good guy. I've, I've known him for years. He handles, um, I believe he's the agent for the Horror Writers Association for their anthologies. Um, but a, a staple in New York. I mean, I, I run into him every time I go out to Thriller Fest. Um, really cool guy. So you may want to check that out if you're thinking about changing agents. Um, speaking of changes, I, I'm trying to make some changes on my advertising. I, I don't know if I mean, you guys aren't advertising much or you're not doing it at all, but um, to fa Facebook, like I've been really noticing a decline um, across the board. I mean, the dollar amount, I mean, they've got no problem taking the money that I put out there, um, but my cost per click is, is continually you know, continuing to go up. Um, and the results that I'm getting are continuing to go down. And, and I track this stuff daily in a spreadsheet. So I, you know, I've got graphs and charts and, you know, all, all kinds I'm of sure fun. You do. Diff, diff, yeah, different ways to look at it. <laughs> but, you know, no matter how I spin it, it's, it's not good. Um, you know, and, and I know I'm not alone in this. And a lot of it's stemming from the changes in the iOS updates. They just don't know how to target the audiences that they want anymore. And Facebook's audience is actually, you know, it's getting older. It's, it's you know, people that are in their 50s now, 60s. You know, it's, it's an older crowd. Um, younger people have, have gone on to, to different platforms, including you know, Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, um, oddly, and, and obviously TikTok. So I, I'm looking at, um, I, I beefed up my advertising on Hulu, um, and I'm looking very closely at TikTok. And I just wanted to put the, uh, the call out there. If anybody is a, cr a creator for TikTok, you know, interested in doing videos, you know, for, you know, for in exchange for a fee, uh, I'm totally open for that. I've, I've got three phone calls scheduled in the next week with um, advertising agencies to start ramping that up. So I'm, I'm looking for people to basically create content for me that I can put out on TikTok. Um, and I'm, I'm going to move away from Facebook. I'll throw this in here uh, for you, JD, or for anyone who's listening. I think there's a there's still an opportunity on, on Pinterest for paid ads. Uh, to be clear, like the organic reach on Pinterest is not is not very good. Uh, but if you're willing, if you have an ad budget and you're willing to spend some money on a platform, it's not exactly social media. It's more like a search engine. Uh, but there are there are people who are getting pretty decent results from paid ads on Pinterest. I think that's the thing. I think right now we've got to look at, you know, different options, just you know, branch out a little bit. I think we've gotten spoiled with, you know, Facebook working as well as it did for so long. Um, we've kind of neglected everything else. Uh, TikTok is a, is a weird thing because everything is video, you know, so you can't just snap a picture and be done with it. You can't go on, you know, you know create a graphic and, and be done with it. You need to put a little thought behind what you're going to do or get somebody to do it. Um, and there could be costs there. You know, like my commercial that I did for, um, for Hulu was a couple thousand bucks before we got it all in the can. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to grab my iPhone and make a TikTok 
TikTok video. Nobody wants to watch me dance with a book, so I'm going to have to get somebody else to do that. So that you know, there's going to be a cost there. Um, so you know, I think if the entry cost is a little bit higher, that's going to discourage a lot of people. And you know, being the first to you know, one of the early people in an environment like that is has never hurt anyone. Um, you know, there's a lot of books right now showing up on the bestseller list that are coming out of recommendations on TikTok or, or BookTok, which is the the hashtag that they they use on there. Um, it's an interesting trend, and it, it's definitely going in the right direction if if you're trying to advertise. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to get us too far off track, but I also wonder too if those statistics are skewed towards demographics. Like I, I would have to guess that that those books are being fueled by readers who are predominantly in their 20s or 30s. Well, that's another reason why I'm looking at it, to be honest with you, because my, my audience is women 45 and over. Like, that's my key demographic, you know, from actual book purchases. Um, so this is allowing me to, you know, possibly rope in some some younger readers, um, you know, which is a, another reason to, to try and gravitate towards something different. Yep. Yep. Well, cool. Uh, I got right. one little thing I wanted to give a shout out to Mark's Pyle. Uh, a buddy of mine put out an uh, anthology uh, on dragons, uh, so it's kind of cool. It's a it's a cross genre anthology called Dragon Tales, and uh, the the challenge was every author had to take a story, write a story about a dragon, but do it in a different genre. Uh, so I wrote a dragon story in a post apoc setting. So there'll be a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Uh, it was a lot of fun and one of those neat little projects that you you know kind of have some fun. I with, got so. I got a book bub new release alert about it, and I almost hit you up in Slack to say I thought there was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Jay wouldn't write a story about a dragon. I actually went and clicked through the page to make sure. And then I saw, oh, I saw Jay Thorne post-apocalyptic. I was like, oh, okay. He, he did. <laughs> There's not someone trying to be Jay Thorne and write dragon stories. So. Yeah. Man, it, it, it reminds me of like one of my favorite movies, Rain of Fire with Matthew McConaughey. Do you guys remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> so, Jay, who's our sponsor? <laughs> Come on. I can't be the only person who saw that. Good movie about dragons. Come on. <laughs> Maybe you can revive it and bring attention to it on TikTok. It, you never that know. Number it, one on the Amazon it, DVD charts. It it, it deserves it. <laughs> okay, well let's anyway. let's take care of some business here. Uh, let's give a great shout out to the folks over there at Kobo Writing Life. You guys know we love Kobo. If you are releasing a book and uh, you're going wide with it, you've got to go to Kobo. You set your price. You keep all of your rights. There's no exclusivity. They have wonderful monthly promotions. And anytime you need help, you can email a real live person. So do that by going to KoboWritingLife.com. And if you also want to be part of our monthly Q&A episode where you get to submit questions that we answer for you on the air, you can become a supporter of the show at Patreon.com slash Writers Inc. Podcast. And that brings us to this week's guest. All right, this one's going to be fun. We've got Jody Picot. Um, she's the author of 25 international bestsellers. She's regularly at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Um, you know, with me being a, a Stephen King fan, like this is the thing that jumped out. I was reading her, her bio. You know, most most of us just kind of really hope to get a blurb from from King. Um, you know, for the book jacket or whatever. Um, you know, it's one of those things that every publisher, every editor, everybody's chasing on every book that comes out. And if you actually get to talk to King, he'll tell you how many ARCs he gets in a week. Um, and you know, everybody's chasing him. But he, he had a short story called You Are that he put out years ago. And in the short story, he actually has a line that says, I got a Kindle for Christmas and I love it. I'm reading my way through all of Jody Picot's books. 
So she didn't get the blurb, but she got the mention in one of his short stories, which I actually think is even even cooler. Um, her latest book is called Wish You Were Here. It released on November 30, um, a couple days ago. So I'm guessing uh, by the time this airs, I'm sure we're going to see it on the New York Times list, probably at the top, um, but that's you know, it doesn't come out until Wednesday. So I'm going to make a prediction and say she's going to be number one you know, two days after this podcast airs. Uh, but here she is, Jody Picot. So if you could watch only one show and your choices were The Bachelor slash Bachelorette or Outlander, which one are you picking? Oh my gosh, this is so hard. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm going to have to go with Outlander because it's, you know, it's just way better scripted. But <laughs> but that's not to say that I don't actually watch both, just so you know. I knew you did. That's why I thought that would yeah. be a hard choice. <laughs> Yeah, the Outlander is, it sneaks up on you. You know, you just start watching and all of a sudden you're yeah. hooked. Well, Outlander's great. You know, I mean, I was a fan of Diana's novels a million years ago when she started writing them. So I was just delighted when not only did they wind up adapting it, but they adapted it really well because that never happens. Um, so, yeah, she definitely hit the uh, the jackpot there in terms of um, adaptations to to screen. Uh, but The Bachelor is like, you know, that's like your guilty pleasure, honestly. <laughs> Most of the time, I have a big glass of red wine next to me, and I'm texting all my friends about how much we don't like any of the candidates. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you have to call it a guilty pleasure. Let's just call it a pleasure, right? <laughs> You're right. There are no more guilty pleasures after 2020. You're no. right. <laughs> Well, uh, it's it's a great segue into uh, the new book, which was phenomenal. I'm so excited Thank to talk you. about this with you. Wish You Were Here is, is uh, coming out soon, or depending on when you're listening, is already out. Uh, why don't you introduce us uh, to the story? Tell us a little bit about Diana and Finn. Sure. So Wish You Were Here is the story of um, a woman named Diana O'Toole, who is about to turn 30 and has her entire life planned out for her. Uh, she is going to uh, get a promotion at Sotheby's where she works as an art specialist. She is going to um, marry her current boyfriend, who is, his name is Finn. He is a resident at uh, Columbia Presbyterian in New York City. Um, she thinks he's going to propose to her on the bucket list trip that they're taking the next day to the Galapagos. And she has like the rest of her future all completely planned out. And the book opens on March 13th, 2020, which is the day that New York City shut down. And Finn tells Diana, I am not allowed to leave the hospital. They're not gonna let me go on vacation because they're expecting this wave of COVID cases. Um, and so he says, the trip is paid for, you should go. And she does, and she goes to the Galapagos and winds up getting stranded there when they close the island that she is on. And she is stuck there for um, a significant amount of time. And uh, really winds up, like many of us, evaluating the life she had and the life that she wants to have uh, over the course of the pandemic. Um, without giving anything else away, it's really about what it's like to be in paradise when the rest of the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I, I, I'm certainly not going to spoil anything for anybody, <laughs> but yeah. uh, once people read it, they will understand one of the most creative inventive twists I have ever read. I was, I, I my ah. jaw literally hit the page when I got there. <laughs> Thank you. So I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it, but uh, we definitely need to, to mention that. Thank so, you. Yeah. There, there's a really good twist in there. I remember people telling me my sister's keeper had the, the most amazing twist and 
I think this one's bigger. I think it but... is too. Yeah. <laughs> so kudos to you. Uh, take take us into this a little bit. I know that in the writing community around that time, there were a lot of authors who were struggling not only with productivity, but you know, how do we treat the pandemic? Do, it, do we yes. ignore it? Do we yes. uh, touch on yes. it? And you just yes. sort of grabbed it by the both hands by the collar and yanked it in. So tell us about <laughs> that decision. That that is so much more proactive than the way it actually happened. <laughs> Um, I think that as a writer, I was thinking even when we began, how are we going to tell the story of the pandemic? Because it's kind of up to the artists of the world to make sense of the things that don't make sense. And I really couldn't wrap my head around it. But then I was having trouble wrapping my head around everything when the pandemic started. I couldn't read. I've been a reader since I was three. I couldn't write anything. I was I was really a mess. And I was really shocked by how distracted and unfocused I was because for me writing was always my happy place and my easy place and I didn't have that and um, I also have asthma so I was very vigilant about being locked down um, after the first week of March uh, after my husband and I went out and did a massive grocery shop we I came back to the house and I didn't leave my house again uh, for 16 months until after I was vaccinated. The only thing I did was go hiking in the morning and I either went alone through the woods or I went with friends and we all stayed six feet apart outside. And um, I, that was it, I didn't go anywhere. And as someone who's always running around, that was really life-changing and not in a good way necessarily. You know, it was really upsetting to me. I actually was contracted to write a book, to co-write a book with Jenny Boylan that was going to come out in 2022. And we were going to talk about it in like September of 2020, but she contacts me in March and she goes, hey, I don't know about you, but my schedule just cleared. So we sat down um, via Zoom and we began to plot out this book and I was faking it. I was like, I, I don't know how to write anymore. So I did research by Zoom and then I started writing and gradually it was like, you know, the fake it until you make it. I was like, oh, right. This is how you write a book. And I started to do it. And Jenny was doing her half and we wrote this book and I was like, okay, great. And then I, I started to continue thinking about how we tell the story of the pandemic. And I heard about a Japanese tourist who was stranded in Machu Picchu. He had traveled there and the country closed basically, and he didn't get to see Machu Picchu and he was stuck in the community. And he wound up teaching like the kids of the community martial arts and becoming a real fixture in the town. And eventually the townspeople petitioned the government to open up Machu Picchu for him. So he got what no one else gets, which is a private dawn viewing of Machu Picchu. And, um, you know, I thought, wow, you know, that's the way you tell this story. And that was my way in. And Again, I was just trying to make sense of everything that had happened to me in 2020. I knew I hadn't been to Machu Picchu and I certainly wasn't going anytime soon, but I had been to the Galapagos years ago. So I started to think about using that as a bucket list destination for the story and wrapping Diana's story around that, that hook. And I kind of loved it too, because, you know, the Galapagos is the, the seat of evolution, really, and natural selection. And um, when you're talking about how organisms adapt and change based on harsh circumstances. Well, I mean, that's 2020 in a nutshell. So how has humanity evolved? So I started writing this book, not thinking of it as a book, but really thinking of, of me. And this was how I was wrapping my head around what happened to me. And I gave it to a couple of friends to read. And to my shock, they both came out with this um, the same kind of phrasing, which was 
this felt like the hug I couldn't have in 2020. It was like a validation of everything that they had felt. And I thought, wow, what if this isn't just therapy for me? What if it actually helps other people as we begin to move out of a pandemic? So I sent it literally as an attachment to an email to my editor in March of 2021 with a note that said, surprise. (laughs) And, And she read it and was like, I think this is incredible. And I really think we have to publish this fast, which is an interesting discussion because, you know, there are some people who will say, oh, I'm not ready for a pandemic book. Um, We're still living in a pandemic. How can you write about it? Well, I do think now is the perfect time because five years from now, when we are really truly out of this crisis phase, no one is going to want to look back that quickly. And I think that as we're, we're in a different place now than we were in 2020, we have vaccines and we have science and we have hope. And we didn't have that in March of 2020. So I do feel like it's a slight sea change. And I think we all sort of need a blueprint about how to move forward. I wrote this to be a blueprint for me. And if it could be a blueprint for anyone else, I'm thrilled. Brilliant. Yeah. Did you get any, (laughs) uh, did you get any pushback or red flags from anyone in, in your inner circles about like, maybe you should really reconsider writing a pandemic book right now? Oh yeah. But uh, I will, this is what I'm going to say. I have, I mean, I've published what 26 books. I have never had better advanced reviews for a book in my life. Wow. I'm addicted to Goodreads. I never read Goodreads, but I can't <laughs> stop reading the reviews. And every single one is like, the last thing I wanted to do was read a COVID book, but guess what? This was exactly the book I need. And I love that. I love that nobody wants to read this, but you know, in my mind, this is not a book about COVID. This is a book about human resilience set against the backdrop of a pandemic. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're not mired in, you're not mired in the pandemic. And yet it forces you to remember the things that we've already forgotten, you know, like what it was like in March and how we were washing our broccoli and, you know, how we left our mail out so that you couldn't bring in any contaminants on the mail because we didn't know. Um, So I think it's, it's good to mark that too, to chronicle that. Mm, Yeah. Did the, pandemic change your approach to writing at all compared to your previous novels? Um, (laughs) Well, I sure suddenly had a lot of time on my hands. (laughs) You know, I wasn't, I wasn't running here and there trying to find the time to write because I had endless amounts of time in the house by myself, constantly, you know, (laughs) Um, and I, I think that I, I think that what the pandemic taught me was that um, I could do research without being in person in some cases, uh, you know, cause I, everything I did was by Zoom, obviously in 2020, um, with the exception of beekeeping. <laughs> I found a beekeeper and I watched him from six feet away in a field with a mask underneath my beekeeping helmet. Uh, you know, so that was the only thing I had to do in person to see. But uh, honestly, I I think I just learned that um, I've got this as a muscle memory now, you know, like I've always relied on my creativity to define me. And when I lost it, I really was falling apart. I was I was unseamed. I was spiraling because I didn't know who I was anymore if I couldn't tell stories. Wow. And 
it really, it was, it wasn't just important. It was vital for me to relearn that hmm. and to remember how to do it. And, and that's why I wrote this book. Did, uh, was how, how did you get through that? Was uh, I know that a lot of writers use you know, a, lot. A, a, a per page, <laughs> you know, like is it a yeah. uh, besides alcohol? It's like a, a per page uh, uh, quota word yeah. count. Like, uh, what, what is no, your first? I never, I've you know? never done that. Okay, I, I mean, <laughs> um, there was a lot of wine involved, but uh, <laughs> there was wine and then there was whining. I mean, both of those. Um, for me, I think it was there were there were several things that I had to do. Part of them were, part of it was, was mechanical, you know, like you got to sit down and you got to put your hands on the keyboard and you got to write something. And honestly, when it came to wish you were here, this book flew out of me. I mean, I've never written anything so fast in my life. And even with the time spent doing research uh, by zoom with, you know, a large amount of people, um, you know, entire weeks devoted to spending 10 hours a day interviewing people. It, the entire book was written in a matter of months. Mm. It was just so fast, like it needed to get out. So um, I think it was just, it was a, it was grace more than it was demand. It was allowing myself the time and the space to, to dig a little deeper into what I was feeling and to give those feelings to a character. Mm. You know, usually when I write stuff like that, we all put ourselves in our, our characters. A lot of time has passed between whatever trauma I'm kind of recording and what I'm putting on the page. There wasn't a lot of time that had passed here. It was still very raw. Mm. Uh, so it sounds as though you just kind of went with it as opposed to forcing your writing into some kind of routine. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, writing novels isn't the only thing you write. Uh, I know you're, you're, you're writing stuff for musicals as well. Tell us a yeah. little bit about that. Yeah. So this is something I started doing um, about, well, it was probably about eight years ago. Um, one of the books that I wrote, I co-wrote with my daughter, Between the Lines, um, we wanted to adapt as a musical. And I wound up working with the songwriting team and the librettist to help turn that into a musical. And we spent eight years working on it. And to be honest, that's what I thought the high point of 2020 was gonna be for me. <laughs> we were supposed to be debuting at Second Stage Theater in New York City. And obviously that did not happen, um, but, but it is happening in 2022. So, um, you know, it, it was for me, it felt like I was a marathon runner and all of a sudden I decided I wanted to be a competitive swimmer. You know, you were using your body, but muscles that you're not used to using. And I loved it because when I'm writing a novel, here I am, this is my space and I'm all alone. And when I'm writing a libretto, I am working with so many other brains and it's so fun to be able to bounce your ideas off people and to collaborate on a project like that. Um, so I, I love that, that sense of building something with everyone's input. Like everyone is, has their hands in the Lego jar and we're all putting the pieces together. So it, it's so fun for me because it feels incredibly different. And working on Between the Lines taught me how you adapt something as a musical. And I love doing it so much that I actually started working as a co-librettist with uh, my writing partner, Tim McDonald. And um, we, uh, we have adapted The Book Thief by Marcus Susak as a musical, which will debut in 2022 in the UK. And we also spent 2020 working on a project that was streamed um, called Breathe, which was about 
five different couples in New York City during the pandemic. Uh, really proud of it, had an amazing cast, Brian, Brian Stokes Mitchell, Kelly O'Hara, um, a whole ton of uh, alumni from Hamilton, Danae Benton. It was an amazing group of actors. And to be able to, it was written by five different teams of songwriters and an amazing uh, librettist named Douglas Lyons, who um, has a play on Broadway now called Chicken and Biscuits. And it was so fun to work with a literally a, a, a crew, a team of, you know, like a family of, of 20 people who were creative. It was also an incredible challenge, not only to create a filmed musical during the pandemic and to get it out on any medium at all, but to employ what wound up being over a hundred people in the theater industry when nobody was making money. So I'm really proud that we were able to do that. Wow. What gave you the confidence to say, I can write there too? Um, why not me? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's honestly, it's kind of easier. Mm. It's, I, you know, it's, it's very similar to a screenplay in that I always say that a novel is like taxidermy. You are creating all the layers of the animal. You're reconstructing the body, but there's still fur and teeth and eyes and all that. When you write a screenplay or when you write a libretto, you are basically creating a skeleton. You're just a paleontologist and you're going to leave it to all these other people you know, your director, your songwriters, your producer, um, even your customers to layer on different bits of that animal to make it 3D. You don't have to do it all yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I know you also run a teen theater group. I and, do. Uh, yeah. yeah. I would love to know what you find yourself saying to those kids over and over <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, uh, these days it's keep your mask on. Um, <laughs> uh you know, what I, I think actually what I say to them over and over, because I have had the privilege of working in the Broadway community, um, a lot of these kids believe I'm, I'm going to go to Broadway. I'm going to study theater and I'm going to go to Broadway. The odds are highly stacked against them because there's so much incredible talent in the world. And that's not to say that they shouldn't dream. But the things that they think are going to make them successful are not. Um, it's not talent. That's the given. The first thing that is asked in a room of producers and creatives when they are thinking of hiring an actor or actress is what are they like to work with? Are they kind? Are they compassionate? Are they a team player? And I try to remind the kids that I see in my troupe that that is the most important currency they can offer. That's wise. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's the soft skills. We used to call them soft skills. I'm not sure mm. they're, they're that soft anymore. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I but think you great. have a. Oh, they're great. Yeah. It keeps me very young. Good. Good. <laughs> I, I know uh, I can see a lot of books on your shelves. Uh, oh, what's... those are. No, these aren't even my bookshelf. This is just my office. Oh, that's awesome. So okay. I have, uh, I have some research books down at the bottom there, but most of this is all just like supplies I need to work. All my bookshelves are downstairs. <laughs> all right. All right. So let's pretend you can see that bookshelf. Uh, okay. And, and tell me, uh, what is a book that you find yourself recommending often that might surprise people? Hmm. Beach Read by Emily Henry. So Emily Henry is an author I discovered during the pandemic. Okay. When I couldn't read at the beginning of the pandemic, and I could not, I really, I couldn't even read a newspaper. I couldn't even read a single page. 
I found that what broke me out of my little funk was reading romance novels. And in retrospect, it's because, of course, I needed to know there was a happy ending because <laughs> there was none in my real life, right? It was too unsettled. And Emily is a terrific writer um, who uh, the books that I've read of hers, there are a couple of them that have been uh, set with um, novelists uh, as the main characters. And Beach Reed was one of them. And I have never laughed so much, you know, at a book. I was just delighted the whole time because it resonated with me in a very different way. Um, Beach Read is about a very literary novelist who winds up in a vacation home next door to a romance writer. And they, at first they can't stand each other. And then they, they make a bet basically to write each other's genre and they discover how difficult it is. And it was just so smart, you know, and just uplifting and fun. And so um, I don't think people think of me as a fun person most of the time <laughs> because I write about really dark stuff, but I actually am very friendly and, you know, and I do like to laugh. And so um, that to me was, a, was an absolute joy to describe, to, to discover. Nice. Nice. Well, and you write a lot too. Uh, I, yeah. I'd love to know how you're able to uh, organize your time when you're working on more than one book at, at a time. Well, you know, the truth is I very rarely will write more than one book at a time. What I will often do is a book tour for one book while I am doing research for an upcoming book and maybe editing a third book. And then every now and then you get a foreign edition thrown in that's just like, ah, what, you know, I have to remember a book from three years ago. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, and I, I am working on all the books, but I'm in different stages with them. I can, however, actively write a libretto and a book at the same time, because those, again, different skill sets. So, um, uh, for me, I I was so much more impressive years ago because I had little kids and I was the primary caretaker and I was writing a book a year. And then my kids went to school, which was a miracle because like an eight hour school day gives you all this time to write, <laughs> um, you know, and then now I don't have any kids in the house. So now it's really easy to write whenever I want to. And, you know, I, I used to be at my desk at 730. Nowadays, I'm usually there by 930, 10 o'clock. And I write until about four or five o'clock and then I go downstairs and I make dinner and, you know, turn into a wife and human again. <laughs> I have, I treat it very much like a, like a day job. You know, I don't write on weekends if I can help it. And, um, and because 2020 really locked me in my house, I didn't have any distractions about going anywhere either, you know, and having to organize my time around trips that I was taking for speaking engagements or book tours or anything. So it's gotten incredibly easy. <laughs> uh, that's encouraging. I, I think yeah. folks who are our age who are parents and have have, have children yeah. leaving the house, you start to get some, yeah. some of your life back. And it's in a way, you're not really sure what to do with it. So, oh, totally. I mean, but I will say empty nesting has been great. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome, Jody. I have a, I have one more question for you. This is just kind of a fun one. No right or wrong sure. answer, but uh, you've been very prolific and successful in this industry for a long time, and uh, and things have been changing quite rapidly. Um, where do you see the publishing industry in a year, two years, five years? How, how, what do you see on the horizon as as some, maybe some changes or trends? Great question, and I have never seen the industry change so much as it did during COVID. It's been very interesting. So first of all, of course, there are supply supply chain issues, which are devastating. Uh, my brother actually is a first time writer. He has a business book coming out. And the poor guy, not only is his book delayed physically, but his publisher released the ebook version before the hardcover, which does not help him in any way. 
it was not good. <laughs> and I know lots of friends who are in that boat and have had shifting pub dates because they can't physically get the books here. Um, so uh, hopefully that will improve again as the world begins to open back up. I think that um, the other thing that has been surprising to me has been um, publishers have had a weird, very weird response to pandemic sales. We know for a fact that what was selling during the pandemic were not even necessarily new books, but were tried and true authors, the brand name authors. That's what people tended to buy. And that publishers actually made money during the pandemic as this was going on. Um, but many of those publishers are trying to cut, make cutbacks and to tighten their belts in ways that are in a way devaluing authors and what they're worth, which I think is a really bad trend that is not gonna do well for anybody. It's gonna lead to a lot of the big authors, brand name authors, uh, jumping ship, going to different publishing companies and hopping around a lot. And it's just, that's not a great thing to do. So I think uh, I'd like to see that change a little bit. Um, the other thing that I am fascinated by is book talk. I am not on TikTok. I feel like at 55, I can't be on TikTok, but I am really stunned by the, um, the chops that book talkers have at changing the market. If you look at the paperback fiction list right now, I think like the first almost six or seven books are all old books that are book talk wrecks that aren't just selling well, they are selling tens of thousands of copies a week for a book that was published in like 2007. That doesn't happen. So I am fascinated by that. And I'm very curious to see how that evolves too. All right, Jody. Man, that was a fun. That was a fun interview. She's a, she's a, she was great. What what do you think, JD? What jumped out at you for, right off the top? You know, honestly, I mean, first of all, I need to watch Outlander. Um, I, I'm constantly <laughs> hearing about this, and I haven't watched it yet. I've never watched The Bachelor, and I I don't think I ever will. Um, the, the thing that actually jumped out at me is um, actually two things. I mean, she fully embraced the pandemic in this book. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this before, but most authors are kind of tap dancing around this. They're either, you know, not mentioning it at all or it's, you know, just a backdrop. But, you know, like she just full on threw it right in there in the middle of her story um, and made it an element. And I thought that was really cool. Um, but re what really got me was the time frame. Like, did I hear that right? Like she turned this book in in March of 2021 and it, it came out a couple of days ago. So, you know, six months or seven months or so turnaround time. I'm fairly certain that was the case. Yes, yeah, and you know, for an indie author, that's that's no big deal. But on the traditional side, that that's unheard of. I mean, most of the time, you turn in a book and it doesn't come out for about a year or so. Um, sometimes, you know, eighteen months, and it and it's mainly because you know you've got to get it out to all the foreign publishers. Um, audio's got to get done. The translations have to happen. Audio translations have to happen. There's a lot going on there, um, and and I can guarantee for somebody like Jody, you know, she's in all of those markets. So there's a lot of work that had to happen to get that book out that fast. But but they did it. You know, it, it's out there. So that that was impressive yeah I, the uh I, I don't don't want to spoil anything for the for the uh listener but the twist in this book was phenomenal uh it was and i i like to think like i'm i'm pretty savvy when it comes to i, I usually see them coming and this was one of those few books where uh wasn't even on my radar and i thought that was that it was really cleverly done yeah, her twists are, are always always strong. Um, I, I haven't read this one yet. As soon as it came, the ARC came in, my wife snagged it up, and I'm, I'm still trying to get it back from her, but I've, I've heard a lot of really good things about it. I'm assuming a lot of the reason that uh, 
that happened, like why why the publishers getting it out so fast has to do with the like because it's COVID, right? Like they probably want to strike while the iron's hot. I'm guessing, JD. I'm I'm sure that's part of it. Um, if if I had to guess, I mean, because she said she submitted this with the word surprise in the the email, you know, uh, subject line, so her editor wasn't expecting it. I wouldn't be surprised knowing Jody if she has like another book that's you know like slated to come out that she turned in, you know, like this month for you know a release, and this one was just kind of snuck in there because she writes pretty fast, and she's got um, you know, I don't know what her, you know, she she mentioned she doesn't do a, a daily word count, um, but I know she's she's pretty quick, so it feels like she just kind of snuck this one in. Gotcha. Okay. I was just curious. Like, and I mean, she even said, I mean, and, and, and that, uh, you know, it obviously takes place during COVID, but that's not really what the story's about, you know, um, which is a lot of the case. I mean, even in the stuff I write, like the zombie books, it's not really about zombies. It's about the people living in that situation. So, um, yeah. And that's kind of been my thought about, about like the pay. Like, I think it's cool to see people who are writing and not ignoring COVID. Like it's never really a question I've, based because every one of my books has a pandemic in it <laughs> of some sort so it'd be weird to have COVID and something else I guess so but it is interesting from from that perspective to see how people are handling that and how they're going to here in the future you know especially as we get um you know depending on your viewpoint further away from it and or at least to the point where people are getting more like over it where they're you know not really they're trying to go back to normal get on with things so well, there are a lot of cool story ideas that I, you know, popped into my head when this first started, you know, like people that were trapped on cruise ships, you know, for yeah. you know, that, when it first hit, like they weren't letting those people off the ship. So, you know, they were expecting to be on there for four days, you know, three nights or whatever. And, you know, now they're there for a month, you know, like there, there's some cool story ideas there. Uh, but from my standpoint, like I just, you know, it, it's almost like trying to chase a genre or something that you think is, you know, you have to write really fast. You have to get it out there. And it's like, it, and you have, like you said, you have to strike when that iron's hot. Um, I wasn't sure that I wanted to really try and do that. Um, but the way that she wrote this is, you know, it still works, you know, so, you know, a year after COVID, five years after COVID or whatever, it's not going to make much of a difference. It's it's a story itself that, you know, like that's such a small element. It's a, it's a unique portion of the book, um, but it's by no means the, you know, the reason to read this book. There's so much more going on there. I thought it was really interesting, too, uh, that so many of the folks we interview are are, are our friends, even for that matter have different outlets for their creativity and and Jody was another example you know she's really into Broadway and she loves music and and so uh, even even someone as prolific as her uh, with the demands from the traditional publishing world she she still has these other outlets uh, uh, I, I don't know JD do you do you have those like uh, do you have other creative outlets besides the writing no, because I'm a major workaholic. I mean, it, I think it comes down to what we talked about. It might have been last week or the week before the Q&A episode or something. But, you know, when, when writing becomes your full-time job, you know, when it was your hobby before, then you try to find a, a hobby to kind of fill that, that void. Um, so that could be what, what's going on there. I, you know, like Jeffrey Deaver, you know, he was originally an attorney. Uh, he writes folk music on the, on the side. You know, a lot of these guys are, you know, they're, they're in bands or they're doing stuff, you know, aside from, from writing. I mean, it's just another creative outlet, another way to express themselves. Um, you know, I'm currently working on a screenplay right now, so I totally get what she, you know, what she was saying. You know, when you write a novel, you know, you're throwing like everything is in there. You've got all the meat and stuff in there. But when you start writing a screenplay, you strip it down to the bare skeleton of that story. Um, you know, and, and writing for for Broadway like she's doing, it's you know, it's very similar to that. You just kind of put the the framework there, and you let the the actors and the directors and the stage people, the set design, all those kind of things come come to the forefront, and that's what actually tells the story. Um, you just give them that that framework, and they they work off it. Um, but yeah, very cool to see somebody, you know, jumping into something totally different like that. 
Yeah, I mean, Zach and I are going to join Stephen King's band as soon as the pandemic is completely <laughs> out. So, <laughs> makes sense. The, re- the remainders. I don't know if they're still playing. Yeah, I thought that was cool, though, too. I, I, I appreciated, you know, her talking about that. And, um, I mean, that's, that's a creative endeavor you don't hear a lot about. And, I mean, there's, like, you know, great storytelling in Broadway. Like, my wife's really into it, so I kind of am by proxy, I guess, and have like I love Hamilton. Like I think the the and the story in it is unbelievable, and uh, you know so it was it was cool to hear that and you know because and, and I've been in a place where I've been trying to find like a new hobby that's somewhat creative and been dipping my toe in different things and stuff. So that was that was cool to hear. Nice, yeah. Thoroughly enjoyed the interview. Wonderful writer, wonderful person. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to mention about uh, the talk or the book or anything? Well, she was obsessed with TikTok like JD. So, <laughs> yeah, you know. see, there you so go. We did have a good segue into the interview at the beginning of this. So. It worked out perfectly. Yeah. Hey, if, if you're an author, go on TikTok, type in book talk, and then try to figure out a way to make it work for your books. <laughs> All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that talk with Jody. Uh, so who do we have up next week, JD? Uh, well, I think you actually brought this one to the table, right? Why don't you go ahead and introduce them? Yeah, we have Derek Sivers is coming on the podcast next week. Uh, most of you might recognize that name uh, because Derek Sivers was the founder of CD Baby back in the day, but he sold that company like, I don't know, 2008? I mean, it, it's probably been 13 years since he sold yeah, the something company. something like that, yeah. Uh, just, um, just a divergent thinker, a philosopher, uh, and an incredible writer. And I think that's what I'm really excited to, to bring to the audience next week is uh, I've read all of his books. Um, my favorite is uh, Hell Yes or No, which I think has uh, become a mantra for a lot of people. Uh, and that, that book is a really powerful way to kind of think of uh, how do you filter through the things you do versus the things you don't. So I'm super excited for this conversation. Uh, he's in New Zealand, and he doesn't uh, he hasn't done many he hasn't done any podcast interviews for over a year, uh, so I'm really looking forward to this talk. Cool. All right. Well, to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass, where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode, and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.